going to pick up the reading in uh, Matthew chapter 11 uh, in, in the middle of a narrative because we're, we're mostly interested in, in the phrase Jesus, uh, a friend of sinners. Interesting context there, though, beginning in verse 16, Matthew 11, uh, verse 16, Matthew 11, 16, down through verse 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling uh, to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus identified as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Let me pray. Pray with me, uh, Lord Jesus. We bow before you as our prophet, priest, and king, um, and as our friend. And we want, Lord, um, to know you better and more deeply as a result of of this time, this morning. So, Holy Spirit, will you work in our hearts, um, pierce uh, any kind of resistance that we would have to this word today. It is an amazing thing. And, And let us be opened up before you, even as you open up yourself to us that we might be changed by the, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In whose name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, we have, uh, many of us, been brought up with the uh, Presbyterian Catechism, uh, the Shorter Catechism, and that is a great thing. It is a great tool. And we read of Jesus having three offices, that of prophet, priest, and king. And we appreciate and value how he fulfills the offices from the Old Testament as he declares God's word to us as prophet, as he himself is the offering up of God for our sins as priest, high priest, and also uh, the offering. And he is our king. Uh, He is the one who rules all things by his power for the benefit of the church. We love these phrases, prophet, priest, and king. But then there is another level that we saw in verse 4 of uh, Newton's hymn, another level of identifying Jesus. That is identifying him as, these are more, sh- more personal. He is shepherd. He, he knows us individually and, and guides us and protects us. He is shepherd. He is also brother. He is, uh, we are co-heirs with him of all the riches of heaven itself. Co-heirs with our elder brother. And then the song says he is a friend. What do you make of that? It sounds so human. It it almost sounds too casual. Uh, They would say in an earlier generation, he's being too familiar with us. And it's often not how we initially think of him as our friend. 
In our day, we may even be a little uncomfortable in using that language, as if we could be a friend to Jesus. The Puritans were not nearly as skittish as we are about calling Jesus friend. Richard Sibbs put it this way, all the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. The very, all that you could imagine of the great qualities of a good friend are fulfilled in Jesus towards those who put their trust in Him. So this morning we're going to be examining the heart of Jesus, the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. He is tender of heart to His friends. Tender of heart. He also enjoys His friends. And He shares His heart with you, asking you to share your heart with Him. My theme this morning, in Jesus you have a friend uh, who will always enjoy you and never turn away. Let me say that again. In Jesus you have a friend who will always enjoy you and never turn away. He is the tender-hearted friends, friend of sinners with a welcoming heart. Uh, Jesus is here in uh, Matthew chapter 11. He is uh, quoting his accusers who who would spit out these words in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. John the Baptist, they would say, well, he came and he didn't, he didn't feast. He didn't drink. He was severe, or at least so serious, that he couldn't even enjoy those basic things of life. He must be demon-possessed. And then there's this Jesus who identifies himself as the Son of Man. Um, he is both a glutton and a drunkard exaggerating horribly as they would define him. But worst of all, he befriended sinners. He befriended those who were despised and cast out the misfits. And he showed what kind of person he was by the friends that he he, he, he gathered with. Guilt by association in their minds. But he was willing to associate with the unclean and even notorious sinners. He ate with them the most uh, intimate of social uh, actions that people could undertake. And amazingly, not only did he reach out to them to, to eat with them, they responded and they gathered with him and they followed him. They felt comfortable with him. They felt at home with him. They felt welcomed by him. He was disarmingly gracious. Why else would they stay all the way through to desert? He welcomed them. He spoke the truth to them, but did so in a way that they could hear it and respond with thankfulness. Not in such a way that would drive them away. Others were driven away, (laughs) but not the humble, not the poor. He valued their human dignity without ever approving their lifestyle. Now, what does that mean for us as those who called on the name of Jesus are, follow, are following him? That your tender-hearted friend will never turn away from you. Your tender-hearted friend will never turn away from you. He would do anything for you. After all, he has laid down his life for his friends, as John 15 says. And if he gave you his life, he will certainly not withhold his heart. 
this, this word for friend here is, is really very closely related to the, one of the words in, in Greek for love, phileo. Uh, it, is, it is a kind of, of, when you use the word friend, and certainly there are different degrees of it, but there, in, in this context of saying that Jesus is our friend, it is, it is a beloved friend, it is a dear friend, it is not just an acquaintance, a dear friend, philos. There's a fondness of heart. Uh, there's a tenderness of a loved one. He sees you at your worst and he is not repulsed. He sees you at your worst and he does not try to get away. He does not say, enough of this. How long does this have to go on? He waits with us, loves us, and draws us out of our mess. He isn't repulsed. He is drawn to you to help you. I think there are a couple of different kinds of people that really have a hard time grasping the friendship of Jesus. Uh, I, I, think, I think there are, are many, perhaps, who would say, well, I just don't deserve this, this kind of friend. Someone who is this good. I, I, I long for friendship with Jesus, but I don't think I, I, I never deserve it. I feel left out. Others are certainly, you might look around a room like this and you might point to someone or someone else. They would qualify to be a friend of Jesus. Look how they live. They're more upright than I am. How could I be a friend of Jesus as well? That's a suspicion that many have. I don't deserve to be his friend. How could I be? There's another kind of person, I think, that might have a difficult time in being able to say that Jesus is my, not just my friend, but my dear friend. My dear friend. And, and that is those who seem to have, for whatever reasons, just seem to have a difficult time letting other people get close. I'm not talking about Jesus right now. I'm talking about anyone. It's hard, hard to let someone in. There's kind of a, a crusty shell that keeps them somewhat separated from other people. High walls that, that make openness with friends very difficult, very uncomfortable, unnerving, awkward. I don't, it's just kind of scary. And, and these people too might have, might have a, 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 a formal and yet distant relationship with Jesus. And I'm saying to both kinds there, wherever, wherever you are in this, that Jesus is seeking your heart today and he will not be denied. He is your friend. And by God's amazing grace, he's coming after all of us today. Jesus, as your friend, is tender-hearted. Amazingly, even more amazingly, uh, Jesus enjoys his friends. I remember a couple of weeks ago I made the comment, Jesus doesn't just love you, he likes you. Whoa! I'm not sure I like myself sometimes. <laughs> and he, he enjoys you. Well, let's see what the scripture has to say about this. We may be suspicious about this kind of, sp- of, this kind of talk. And it may be that we have a, 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 an appropriate understanding of, of Jesus as one who, he, he is the Lion of Judah. Judah, you're, are you trying to domesticate the Lion of Judah? 
Kids, what does that word domesticate mean? Just think of, think of a wild a cat that, that, that scratches on your door and tears up the, the screen and, and you let him in and tears up your house. He's not an indoor cat. He's, he's not domesticated. He's not at home in your home. Jesus is not a domesticated Jesus, we will insist. And we do not have to go far to order, in order to explain that. When John, Revelation chapter 1, got that vision of Christ, he fell flat on his face as if he was dead. When Peter, fisherman Peter, had revealed to him the presence of Jesus, he just, he says, depart from me. I am unclean. I'm a sinful man. When Isaiah, in the presence of angels who were covering themselves up from beholding the glory of God, Isaiah himself says, woe is me. I've got a filthy tongue. I, I can't be in the presence of this God. It is this amazingly beautiful and holy God that also says, I want people to come to me. Even though, even though we might say, well, my goodness, we've got to hide. Do not, do not allow the holiness of God to water down the beauty of what Jesus is saying here, that he wants to be with you and it is your blessed duty to accept that invitation and feast with him. He wants to sit down and feast. He welcomes you to his table. As we see in Revelation 3 and many other places in the scripture, but what comes to my mind what comes to my mind is, is the story of Mephibosheth and David in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel. David is musing. King David is musing, having taken the throne away from Saul, uh, having lost his, his best friend Jonathan in these battles. He is musing to himself in, in terms of keeping a covenant that he made with Jonathan. And his heart is wondering, his heart is reflecting, his heart is grasping. This is King David saying, I've got to find someone to love. Is there anyone out there, any descendant of, of Saul, of Jonathan, to which I can show the magnanimity of my heart, the largestness of my heart, to invite them into dinner, to, to eat with me, because my heart is reaching out to them. This is prefiguring Jesus himself. His heart was restless. And so who does he find? He finds a crippled guy. Can't work. Can't produce. There is no value added to having Mephibosheth at your table or in your kingdom. Perfect. That's exactly the kind of guy I'm looking for. That I can magnify the love of my heart. Remember what Mephibosheth said in that chapter. Who am I that you should love a what? Do you remember a what? Help me. Dead dog. Like me. Who am I that you should love a dead dog like me? At the very end of the chapter, it's been be- at the very end of that section, there's this beautiful little thing, and just just tags on at the very end, as if you, just in case you missed it, and he was lame, 
in both feet. Get the point? That's who I want at my table. That's us, people. The Laodiceans were self-satisfied. They were in a pitiful state precisely because they thought they were in a great state. And Jesus says to them, repent and open the door to me. And then he said, I will come in to you and enjoy eating a meal together. Um, repent and sit down with me and enjoy a meal together. The most intimate that we can do to, with one another, certainly in that, in that Middle Eastern um, uh, context. Richard Sibbs, one of the, uh, one of the Puritans, uh, makes this daring comment, and you just don't see this. You just don't see this in Reformed teaching today, uh, I, I not very much. Um, Michael Reeve, uh, Reeves would be one that would come up with this, but not very many others would. But R- Richard Sibbs said this daring comment that this is not just a one-way enjoyment; it is mutual. Do you hear what he's saying? It's not just a one-way relationship that we enjoy Jesus, it, it's, there is a measure in which he also enjoys us. And this is of vital importance to your spiritual health. Stay with me. Jesus shares his joy with us, and it is our joy that gives him joy, we read in John chapter uh, 14. It is easy for us to see how Jesus benefits us. He gives us his person. He gives us his gifts, his benefits. We see that. It is clear. That's the way our minds run. We get that. But listen to what Sib says. Christ delights himself in his love to the church, and his church delights herself in love to Christ. In friendship, there is a mutual honor and respect. Um, of one uh, to another. And, and we think of the relationship in, in marriage. How could we be his bride if he did not delight in us? That would not make sense. Now, we know that we are supposed to enjoy him. We know that we are supposed to enjoy God. Our catechism opens up that way. Uh, love him. Um, uh, first, uh, the, uh, what is it? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We know we are to enjoy God. That is a lot. That is not an easy thing for us sometimes. We know we're supposed to enjoy Him, but wouldn't it um, be of great help to us to know daily and hour by hour that He also enjoyed? us and welcomes us and has a tender heart towards us and welcomes us because he loves us. Let let me put it this way. Justification by faith is a legal declaration for you that you have God's fullest acceptance through the death of Jesus Christ and that is not going to change. It's not going, it does not ebb and flow. Your state of having been justified does not go up when you're good and down when you're bad, so to speak. It never changes. It is a wonderful thing and there is nothing like it. It is the foundation of grace on which we stand. It is a legal declaration. It is a legal commitment that God makes. Justification is an act. It is not a process, it's an act of God's free grace. We have that justification 
but we also have, in the same way, we have God's friendship, the friendship of Jesus. It is a personal commitment, not a legal commitment, a personal commitment to you to enjoy you and never to turn away when you're good and when you're bad. He does not turn away his friendship from you. Again, is this irreverent? Is this making him too human? It is a rather an extension of the gospel of grace, of a heart of God who is tender towards his broken and beaten down children. He enjoys, put it this way, he enjoys our prayer meetings. He meets with us on Wednesday nights. Next Sunday um, evening, we'll be meeting here for the, uh, and, and restarting our, our, our Sunday evening prayers on the third Sunday of the month. And Jesus is, 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 if you will, looking forward to that and will enjoy that time with us as we speak to him and have fellowship together. Can, can, you, can you adjust to that way of thinking? That you come into the presence of the Lord to honor Him, but also to receive His, His, His commendation and, and also His enjoyment. Well, the third thing is that Jesus, as our friend, uh, shares His heart with us. Um, there, of course, are many different kinds of friends that we have. There are, there are, uh, we have many what we might call acquaintances that we're kind of friendly and we're nice and we nod and we smile and we don't really spend much time, but we know them and we're nice because they're nice to us. There are some that we're closer to that we enjoy, still not intimate, but we will talk about a number of things together. There are a few with whom we share our heart. And there is both an, an ease in being with them and a delight. Do you understand what I'm saying? An ease. You don't have to fill the air. You can just enjoy each other. There's an ease and a delight. Uh, a, one who finishes your sentences for you and gets them right, actually. Doesn't put words in your mouth. That's a great thing. But is there anyone that you are totally open with? Is there anyone with whom you share some of your embarrassing and um, humiliating moments? And I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not saying that you need to do that. I'm just saying, is there anyone? Jesus here identifies himself as that kind of friend uh, who shares his heart with us. I'll no longer call you servants but friends. And of course we do. He does expect us to be his servants, his slaves. Paul identified himself and Timothy both as, as the, the douloi, the, the servants, the bond servants, the slaves of Christ. But in one sense we are, we have re, re, um, we have given up that title slaves and we have become friends instead. And what is the distinction that John is making in chapter 15? And that is slaves simply re, re, receive commands to go out to what they're supposed to do. Friends, however, receive the heart, the heart revealed to them, God's purposes, God's plans, God's, the way God works in, in saving people and changing people, His plans for the world, all of that is what the friend of Jesus has. And, and Jesus says, there's nothing that the Father has shared with me that I do not share with you. I've got everything I've got. I've given to you in, the, in these words. 
I've held nothing back. You see, he's, he's saying, friends don't leave other friends in a lurch. I'm going to give you every, I've given you every bit of information and perspective that you need. Everything you need for your journey. Now, we are, we are companions. Jesus is our companion. And that word companion is a special kind of friend. It's the kind of friend who is with you on a journey. It's a, a friend who, a companion is with you going someplace. So that you're not doing it alone. A companion sticks with you. He is close to you. He's right there with you every day in your journey to be with Him in glory. Every day, in every way. This is a special kind of friend. And boy, do we need this kind of friend. Because your life is different from what you expected, isn't it? It is different from what you expected. But Jesus is not surprised. And Jesus is not overmatched by your circumstances. He is your companion right there in them. He is with you through all of the difficult turns that your life has taken. He is a companion with you through those difficult terms. He is with you then, and He will never turn away. He is with you in those difficult turns. He is with you in those darkest moments when you feel like giving up. What a time we're in right now. What we sometimes call COVID time. All of us going through difficult times that we would not have expected. And in fact, some very dark moments. But one thing is certainly true. Your companion, Jesus, will not desert you. You go through your life, some things happen to you that just come, bam! Where did that come from? A surprise of some kind. And you now are thinking of the surprises that have gone on in your life. (laughs) I don't have to go there. You know what they are. I don't. I've got some of my own. When you're surprised, you're, you're likely to say, well, I never expected that. That came from left field. What's going on here? But Jesus was never surprised. He was ready. And he's ready to help you in those moments. Well, I want to I want to close with with two specific implications about about this having Jesus as a friend. And, and here is as where I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to to make changes in each one of us in a significant way. The first thing is this: that Jesus as friend changes your prayers. Having Jesus as a friend changes the way you pray. The way you speak to Him. If He's your friend, you speak to Him differently than if He is simply a lofty God up there who you wonder if He really even cares. It affects the way you pray. Now, if you have a really strong friend, 
you honor him by saying, Help! <laughs> John Piper has this illustration in, I think it's Desiring God, where he's, where he's describing prayer. And he's tra- describing prayer. And he, and, he, and, he, and he imagines this. And I'll go, go with me to this, fra- this uh, scene. You, you've got this massive bus that's filled with people and, and, and you're given the task to push it along the highway. And, and you, 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 you push it, you stick your back against it, and you're doing everything you can. It's not moving an inch, of course. And then someone tells you that Superman's inside the bus. And you happen to be on good personal terms with Superman. So you say, Superman, would you push this bus? And he puts his little finger on it, and there it moves. If, if you have big prayers, and you have a, a big friend, you are right where you need to be. How do you honor Superman? You, you ask him to move the bus. How do you honor Jesus? You ask him to do things that you can't do on your own. And you do it, you do it freely and with, and with joy in your heart. Your, um, it, and it's not, and you ask him, you ask him when you are, are not pleased with yourself. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we can get down in the dumps and lose the energy to pray. Have you ever been there? Yes. Just down in the dumps, prayer doesn't help. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going on. And so, and so when you, when you're praying to your friend, you know he knows you and he cares about you and he's with you and he'll help you. And so it loosens your prayers. Jesus, help me. We get this all confused, don't we? We think that we need to be high achieving Christians in order to merit the role of, of prayer. Do you see how crazy that is? That's exactly the opposite of the gospel. It is, it is your weakness that qualifies you to pray. It is the fact that you're desperate that qualifies you to cry out to Jesus. He's not annoyed with you and your mistakes. It, in fact, warms his heart because he came to help. That's why he's here to help you. So you do your best praying when you're desperate. Even as we were singing uh, in that Newton hymn today, we're honest about the fact that we have a cold heart. We're honest about the fact that we can be stubborn people, proud and stubborn people. We're honest about that because we've got a friend. We can be honest with him about our unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Those are prayers he loves to hear. It's a great place to start. Is Show me my pride. Show me my self-dependence. Show me that. And you're honest with your struggles. You're honest with the battles that go on in your heart. You're honest with your temptation. Because that's what He wants to hear from you as your friend. He wants to deal with the real you, not the polished version of you you love to show other people. Do you hear me? He wants to talk to the real you. And by the way, if we do this, we'll spend far less time being anxious about life and more time just enjoying Jesus, won't we? <laughs> Who here would enjoy having less anxiety? 
<laughs> well, we all do, okay? Let's, let's pray a little more. Trust our friend, Jesus. Trust our friend, Jesus. That's the first thing. Jesus, as a friend, changes your prayers. And the second thing is that good friends uh, point other friends to the best friend. Good friends point other friends to the best friend. Pastor Tom had a great talk yesterday at Men's Breakfast on what, what we needed to, what, encouraging us to, uh, as, as men in the room, okay, no ladies present on that one. Um, and actually it's not because we're sexist, but we're trying actually to love our wives better, okay? So you're a benefit of not being there. Um, and so, and so uh, the idea was to pray for your wives, to, to take her hands and to pray for her and to, and to ask her how you can pray for her better, but to, but to not just pray for her in your private, but pray with her, pray with her, pray with her. Um, praying, and, and that of course requires both initiative and courage and humility and all, all of those things. But the point is, you, you are, you are being the best friend if you can be, that you can be as a husband. And wives, it works both ways. Singles with, with other singles, other, other people. It does, it, you are being the very best friend you can be if you get people in touch with the best friend, Jesus. How often do your conversations simply stay horizontal? How often do you speak to one another and it just stays here and you talk about even resolving problems as if God was not here. God was not the, the, uh, the, the ever-present and transcendent God. Um, you, you need friends on your journey to heaven, but they need to be good friends. Some friends take up a lot of time but they don't enrich your time. Do you hear what I'm saying? You're with them a lot, but you are not enriched by them. This is how it goes. There is no value added in that friendship. This is what it looks like sometimes. You can, you, someone comes to you and they're upset about something and they just say, oh, it'll be okay. You don't need to be a Christian to talk that way. Someone comes to you, they really got, they really need advice, and you say, well, this is what I would do. Oh, I'm not sure I'm really interested in what you would do. Sorry. I'm more interested about what Jesus calls us to do and empowers us to do that is counterintuitive and against the world's way of thinking. That's what I'm interested in. So, in one sense, if I can respectfully and lovingly say I'm not really interested in what you or I think about resolving problems. What does God think? You want, the goal here is to put Jesus right in the middle of the conversation. How often have you been with someone and you're stumbling around for words? What do you say? How do you help this person? How do you help someone who's desperate? Bring Jesus into the conversation. And it goes something like this. Lord, help us. We're over our head. We don't know what to do. But we're trusting you. Help us. Help us. That's the friendship. That's the friendship that your friends need. Someone asked you to pray. I've gotten to do this a lot more than I did when I was a good bit younger. But someone asked me to pray. 
And maybe it's because I, I don't want to give the promise I'll pray for you because I probably won't because I'll probably forget to. <laughs> so I don't want to make that promise anymore. What I'll do is let's pray now. You pray now and you, then you can forget about it. You don't have to try to remember. Jesus, um, twist, uh, t- turning around a phrase from John, you have not, uh, um, you have not chosen one another but I have chosen you for one another. And that's another way of looking at it. You, you, we, are, we are in Jesus' family, and he chooses us to be with one another, to help each other, to point us to the best friend. Good friends bring along the best friend. Bring Jesus into the friendship conversation. Finally today, um, is, is Jesus your friend? You may know a lot about him. Children, you've grown up in this church, you've heard about Jesus every class in Sunday school. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus every time the word is preached. But do you know him? Is he your friend? Your Savior? Come to Him. Tell Him that you need help, that you need the forgiveness of sins, and you want His help in this world as your companion to bring you uh, into the next. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, dear friend Jesus, We praise you that you are with us and that you are for us, that you will help us. You are with us. We pray that uh, our prayers would be changed by thinking of you as friend. We pray that our friendships would be changed by thinking of you, knowing you as the best friend. We pray that our relationships with one another would be characterized by giving real help, not just pious help. Lord Jesus, would you help us as Faith Church in this time to know ourselves to be um, the engaged of, of Christ, dearly loved. And may your love for us and our love for you infiltrate every corner of our hearts and our activities for the glory of God. Amen.